Luke 15 and verse 11, Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And you've also given us the ability to hang on to it and persevere during times that are difficult. And I thank you that the truth of your word helps us to do that more than almost anything else in our life. Because when we need to hear truth, you provide it. And it's timeless and it's living and it works in us and for us today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're talking about the soul, we have one, right? Genesis, that God breathed into man and he became a soul alive. And it's important. The Savior said, what does it profit us if we gain the whole world? But we lose our soul. We lose that life on the inside of us. And we've learned that it's needy. And one of the things that it needs is comfort. And we've also learned that God has given our soul a keeper, and that's us, to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. And the first step to caring and keeping something properly is to understand it. The more we know about it, the better we can care for it. And we've been talking about idolatry. We've been talking about things that we turn to that aren't God and treat them like they are God, that we look to them to receive from them things that only God can give, romantic love, right? Money, success, and accomplishment. And I was headed in that same direction today. There was another topic I want to cover, and we probably will cover it yet still, but the Lord kept pulling me away from it. He kept tugging me over to a different thought. And I believe that it's something that we need to hear today. It's not something new. I just read to you the story of the prodigal son. It's something old, but I've long since been delivered from trying to find something new to talk about because I've learned that there's nothing new under the sun. And I was thinking on it this last last almost two weeks, last week and a half. My grandmother had to go into the hospital and some of you know that. And I was thinking on that, you know, we can think about multiple things at the same time. And um, I was also thinking about what I was going to share. And I was like, isn't it funny that as Christians and as Christians in church, uh, we can want to hear something new, right? There's just something about it. We want to hear something new. We want to hear a new take on something. We want to hear that from a different perspective. We want to hear something new. We just do. And, uh, you know, right or wrong, indifferent, that's that we, we kind of have that about us. But I was like, you know, we don't really have that when it comes to medicine. 
We don't go to the doctor and go, I got this really wrong with me. And they're like, I think we should try this. We're like, wait, 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 wait. How new is that? Is that a new thing? Because I don't want you to just give me an old thing. I want you to give me something new. Give me something fresh. Give me something just came off the line. Give it to me. We don't do that. You know, we don't do, hey, I got an infection. Well, here's an antibiotic. Well, how long have they been using that antibiotic? I don't want something that's been around for a long time. I want something that's new. And, we, you know, it's silly. We wouldn't do that. What do we want? We want what works at the right time. That's what we want. And, and that's why I've been delivered from trying to find something new and just say, God, I want to preach the truth, the good old truth at the right time. Because a word in season, a word in season, a word at the right time, how good it is. And so it set me free from trying to go like, oh, I got to come up with some. No, we're going to talk about today one of the parables that even sinners know. Everybody knows this one, but I, I just believe it's something that we need to hear today. And here in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. The prodigal son is the third one of the three. He tells the story of the lost sheep, right? 99 are here. One is lost. And then he tells the story of a lost coin. A lady has 10 silver coins. She loses one. She keeps seeking it to find it. And she finally does. And she celebrates. And then he tells the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. And like most times he told these parables in response to something. And what he was telling it in response to, we can see in Luke 15, chapter, chapter 15, 1 and 2. So at the beginning of the chapter, the first two verses, he said, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's saying the tax collectors and the sinners were coming. We talked about tax collectors when we talked about Zacchaeus. Terrible reputation. They didn't do good things in their life. And he said the sinners are coming. Those who are outside of uh, the, 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 the kingdom of God, even the understanding of God that they've gone after the things of, uh, of life and they're seeking after that on their own. So tax collectors and sinners are coming. And Pharisees and scribes, those who were around the temple all the time that had studied in the scripture more than anybody, they're complaining saying he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And he told these parables as a response to what was going on. And parables are what? They're stories that are meant to reflect to us ourselves and God and his kingdom and how things work. This is how life works in God's kingdom. And so he tells these parables. And again, the third one, the one we'll talk about today, it's one of the most well-known stories in the world, right? People will say, ah, the prodigal son returns or the prodigal son has come home and we'll refer to it even in popular culture. It's, it's transcend, it's made its way out that far, which I thought was interesting as I was looking into it today. Uh, do you know what prodigal means? We don't, right? We, just, we, we do, but we don't. And prodigal just means wasteful, like, like spend it all on nothing. That prodigal, that's what it means, it, it, that he was wasteful with what he had. I always thought it had to do that he was doing the wrong thing, which wasting is the wrong thing. But I just thought that was interesting, that he was a reckless and wasteful spender. And again, this is a story. It's a parable. It's not real, but it is real for us. It's not an account of an actual person. Jesus told this story and he told it masterfully to what was going on as he told these three in order together. But he said, a man had two sons and the younger one said to his father, I want my share of the estate now. 
Or in other words, I don't want to, I'm tired of waiting for you to die for me to get what I'm going to get. I want it now, right? That's what he said. When you say, I want my inheritance now, it's like, you've lived too long, old man. I got things I'm trying to do. I'm getting old. I want my money now. And it said the father split his estate between his two sons and he gave them what would have been coming to them out of his estate. And that the younger one, just a few days later, moved where? Far away. Far away from the father. And he squandered it on foolish living. He squandered it on foolish living. And again, it's not a real person, but it is a real story. And it can reflect to us ourselves and our God. So, so we see in this young man a wanting, right? We're talking about the soul longs, the soul wants. What does he want? He wants to be in control. He wants to be captain of his own ship. He wants to be able to do life the way that he thinks life should be done. He wants to be the one in control because up until that point for him, who was in control? Dad. It's dad stuff. Now the son was living in dad's house and he probably had everything he needed, right? We would think so. But he wanted control of it himself. And remember, idolatry gives us the illusion or the or the deceitful promise that it can give us control. When when we live uh, with with anger, remember, what are we trying to do? We're, We're trying to feel like we have power when we don't. When, when we live with lust or, or, or that greed, we're trying to believe that we have control when we don't. And he wanted control over his life. And so we see in this young man, remember, his soul was longing. A longing soul listens. And so what he's hearing from, from, from the world around him is if you just have this, if you can just be in charge of your own life, if you have your own material wealth, then you can do what you've always wanted to do. And then you can be who you've always wanted to be. You can do better. Father's withholding this from you. He's keeping it back. He's keeping you from being what you could be if only you had this. It can give you what you're missing, right? That's the promise. That's what we hear uh, from our idols. And we see it in advertising. If you watch, I mean, when they've been doing it for, for forever, advertising of any product, what does it do? It tries to create a longing or exploit a longing that's already there. They go, well, if you had this type of bubble gum, then you'd be the cool guy and everybody, you'd be on the skateboard and rolling in. Everybody like, oh my gosh, he's here. You know, that's what advertising does. It's like, this is your missing piece. This is the problem that you had. I can solve it. And then everything's going to be all right if you'll just buy this brand of deodorant. Or if you do whatever it is, and, and we like, but we see it and we kind of go, I do need that car, but I would be that guy in that car. I'd be just like Matthew McConaughey if I had that car. <laughs> right? That's what advertising does. A longing soul is listening. And this is what he had been listening to. It presses all those buttons. And so he just launches off into it. He takes everything that his father gave him. He moves far away far away and then squanders it on foolish living. He spends everything and then he has nothing. And then there's a famine, which means there's nothing around either. He comes to working for a pig farmer, feeding the pigs. And he's so hungry. He's like, I would eat 
what they're eating. But he said nobody gave him anything. And for us, we hear pig farmer, we might think, oh, this is like Charlotte's Web. This is kind of, it's not that bad, right? But what they would have heard would have been unclean, right? Because pigs were unclean animals in, in the Jewish culture, according to the law. So he, he would have been unclean, defiled, dishonored, and, and essentially outside of the family of God. At this point, because he's do, he, he's walking in all of these ways that separate him from anything that would be considered clean and acceptable, according to everybody that he grew up with. And it said nobody gave him anything. And he's I'm guessing sitting. He's sitting there. And he's hungry. And he's disappointed and he has needs that weren't fulfilled the way he thought that they would be fulfilled. And nobody gave him anything. That's what it said in verse 18. Nobody or verse 17. It said he came to his senses. See, he looked at his life and he looked at what it was that he was doing and you know, I don't know that we do that often enough, right? When we start to feel that discontent, when we start to feel those concerns, what do we generally do? We generally push on harder. We're just like, I can't be feeling like that. I got to, I got to try harder. I got to try harder. I got to do something else. I got to be, I got to be about it. But he hit the bottom and he sat there in it and he said, I've messed up. I have messed this thing up. This has not done what I thought it would do. What did he say? He said he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. So what he's begun to do is he's begun to compare masters. Compare one master against the other. Because what did Jesus tell us? He said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to serve one and despise the other. So he's been serving a different master. He was in his father's house. Dad was the master. And then when he left out, now he has been his own master and he's comparing the two. And he's saying, even the servants in my dad's house ate good. They ate really well. And here I am. I'm working for the pig farmer and I've got nothing. He's comparing masters. Man, I I hate to see people hit rock bottom, but what I really hate to see is people hit rock bottom and start digging. Start digging. Just keep digging down. No, no, I got to keep going. Like, no, just sit in it for just a minute and compare, just compare masters for a minute and look at what you've done with it. And what he wants to do with it, what it would be like in dad's house. But see, he's got a problem. He's got a big problem. He said in verse 18, I'll go, I'll get up. I'm going to go to my father. He's in the right direction. And I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. So there's repentance there, right? Him saying, I have really screwed this up and I owe my dad an apology. But here's what I've done. I've defiled myself. I've disappointed him. I've done all of these things. I'm going to tell him I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He's like, I used to be a son. 
But I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell dad that I'm worthy of being nothing more than a hired servant. So he's going to repent. He's remorseful. He wants that reconciliation. And he's going to ask him to take take him back. But he's going to say, as low as I am, I understand you're not going to want me to be your son anymore. I, I, I want you to take me back as your servant because I don't deserve to be your son. So he's just laid bare. But again, thankfully, when he hit rock bottom, he didn't stay there. He got up and went back the right direction. Repentance, right? And so he comes back to dad's house. In verse 20, he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. Said he was filled with compassion and he's ready. He gives his dad the speech that he had wrote while he was sitting with the pigs. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he's acknowledging what I did was sinful. It was all about me. I missed the mark on this, dad. I missed it. I missed the mark in what I did. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father cuts him off. His father cuts him off in the middle of his speech. And then he speaks a better word over him. And he says to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. The celebration began. And again, Jesus told this story because of verse one and two. The tax collectors and the sinners were coming to hear him and the scribes and the Pharisees were complaining. The tax collectors and the sinners who should have been sons and daughters, who should have been in there feeling comfortable to come into the temple and waiting on the Messiah, they had taken their inheritance. And what had they done? They had gone out and squandered it on foolish living. Their inheritance is part of the nation of Israel. They were seeking power. They were seeking control, seeking pleasure, seeking comfort for their longing soul. And just like the prodigal son, they they had come to the end of that and they had seen that in the master's house there was something better. Because Jesus is coming and he's speaking the better word. But we do that with our idols. We keep pushing on believing that at some point when we get to the end of it, when I get to the end of the rainbow, then it's all going to pay off. That's when it's all going to pay off. But what have we already learned? Our idols will always break our hearts because they have to. They can't do anything else. They can't produce what only God can produce. So when we ask it of them, they're going to disappoint us. But one thing I thought was interesting in seeing his breakdown, the breakdown that he had in verse 17, which again, a breakdown for us can be a grace and a mercy because it can make us sit there and think, think about what you've done. But in, but, but in a whole different way, I want to sit here and think about where I am and where God would have me to be. 
And what I think is really interesting is in the story. And again, it's not a person. It's a story about a person that we can see our reflection in. You know, when he's sitting there in the with the pigs, what he didn't say was, I'm going to get up from here and I'm going to go get all of that back. And I'm going to go have more parties and I'm going to go find those old friends. And I want to go find all those people I was hanging out. I want to get that back. He didn't say that. He did. Why? Because he knew at the, the end of it is this. The end of it is here and it couldn't have worked out any different. He didn't say, I want to get that back. What did he say? I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to go to dad's house. Why? Because he started comparing masters and he saw that dad was better. But again, dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm going to come back. But the best I can hope for is to be your servant. The best I can hope for is just to work in your house. But his father sees him a long way off. His dirty, hungry, defiled, disappointed self sees him a long way off. And it said had was filled with compassion, filled with compassion. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about dad's soul. It's talking about the father's soul, because when it says filled with, it's talking about the deep parts. It actually, if you go back to the original, refers to his bowels. Remember we talked about that? The bowels for them were the seat of the emotions where ours is our heart. You know, my, I had a heart that beats for you. Then I'm like, my bowels are moved for you, Lord. <laughs> to us, it sounds really weird, but to them, they would have been like, oh, his bowels were moved with compassion. It's like, when our bowels move, that's that advertising we're looking at to go, we need this medicine. <laughs> Either to move it or to stop it from moving. Anyway. But it's talking about in, the, in his very depths, he had compassion. So at his, at his core, he was what? Compassionate for this son. And, and, he, and he gets started on his rehearsed speech where he's like, I've sinned against you, dad, and I've sinned against heaven, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. And look, here's the scandalous part. He was right. He was right. He wasn't worthy to be called his son. Can you imagine if somebody actually, and that's what they're supposed to hear when they're hearing this story. And that's why it stands in a juxtaposition to the first two. Because the first one, it's like, yeah, this one little lamb walked off and then it was missing. And he went to find it. It's like that poor little lamb, that lamb needs to come back. And the lady lost her coin. And they were like, oh man, I hope she finds that coin. But then when they hear this story, they're like, that little jerk, he did that? He told his dad, I wish you were dead so that I could have your money. And then he went and spent it on like wild living and prostitutes. What a terrible. And now he's coming back. Yeah, he is. He doesn't deserve to be called his son. And he says that. And the father speaks a better word over him and says, bring him a robe. What? To cover him. Bring him the ring, restore him to the position that he had forfeited and bring sandals for his feet. My man came in barefoot, it sounds like. And he's like, bring him comfort, bring him rest. What had he gone out looking for? Was, was identity. I mean, he wanted to party. He wanted to have fun. He wanted to have those connections. And he, he completely missed it out there in the world. But he comes back and look what he has. He has a party. He has connections. He has identity. He's found all these things in dad's house that he had gone out looking for. And now he's back. But that's not the end of the story, is it? You know that because you've heard this story before because there were two brothers 
And so let's look at verse 25. It says, His older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. And they said, your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the older son, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. So he comes in. What's going on? Your brother's back. Your dad killed the fat calf. We're having a party. Come on in. And it said he became angry and wouldn't go in. His dad came out to ask him about it. Why was he angry? Well, he's going to tell us in verse 29. He replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. You slaughtered the fattened. You notice he said, this son of yours, not my brother came home. Right. This is like when you come home and go, guess what your kids did today? (laughs) This is what your son told me today. Right. He's kind of like that. You are this son of yours, not. My brother. And so he's saying, look at me and look what I've done compared to what he has done. And so what you see here is both sons came expecting that dad would respond to them based on what they had done. The one had wrecked his world and said, "Okay, I understand how you're probably going to respond to me and I need to be your servant. The other one saying, I'm expecting you to respond to what I've done for you. Oh, man, I've been here. I've been where I've never done anything wrong. I've been doing everything right. And here I am. And and you've never celebrated me. Celebrate me. And, And what it is, is both felt unworthy of their sonship in the father's house. One had shown it because he had gone out and wrecked his life. And he's like, well, I'm an embarrassment now and I'm not going to be worthy to be in your house. And the other one feels like if he doesn't do all of this stuff that he's been doing, if he's not a slave for dad, that he's also not worthy of the sonship in the father's house. The younger tried to earn his place in the world through all of that, you know, party and wild living, pleasure, seeking it out and He found instead that he was a slave to the world and the older one had tried to earn his place by slaving to dad. And so he was living like a servant, even though he was actually a son. And so the older one's like, you're celebrating him and you never even celebrate me. You never even give me a goat so I can have a little barbecue party with my friends. Right. But what he's saying, what do we see? We see a soul that's longing and we see a soul that's needy. And he's saying, I put my hope and my trust in my own actions, in my discipline that they would get for me what it is that I want. And they haven't done it. And now that I've seen that, I'm angry. He said, because I did this, dad, you're supposed to do this. Don't you understand? That's the way that this works. I've done all the good and right things. You're supposed to celebrate me and make me feel good about myself. And remember, it's a parable. So that we can better see ourselves and better see God and the kingdom, which is funny. I did notice that the older brother is leaning with a similar bend to his younger brother. What did he want? He wanted to celebrate with his friends. <laughs> well, the younger brother, I want to go out and have a new hood rest with my friends. 
That's what I want to go do. And he's like, I just wanted to, to feel like I belonged, to feel like I was validated and to enjoy myself with my community of people. Neither one of them enjoying themselves. Anyway, you see the father's response in verse 31 and verse 32. Number one, older son, he's talking to him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, remember, he said that son of yours came up. This bro, he's your brother, man. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so the father's response is, I never put that on you. You put that on yourself. You've always been with me. Everything that I have is yours. I almost hear him saying, celebrate you. You understand this is all of our party, right? Your brother was dead and now he's alive. This is your party too. You come on in too. This is us. To, we're in this house together. This is your party because you're with me and this brother of yours. It's a story of two brothers, both slaves to different idols. And both with longing souls. And remember, Jesus told it because of verse 1 and 2. The tax collectors and the sinners were approaching. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. Right? The prodigals are coming home and the older sons are griping about it. And again, he told them the first story. There's a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray. He's going to go get the one and bring it back to be with the 99. We're all of the same species. And then he told the story about the lost coin. A lady had 10 silver coins and she lost one. What, what do I hear when I hear him say 10 silver coins? We all have the same value. We all have the same value, guys. And then he said, I'm going to tell you the story now. It's really going to just hammer it home. He tells them the story of the lost son. And just how masterful Jesus, he really is the son of God to be able to take a situation like that and go, let me tell y'all three stories. Three, not just one, not two, but three, just masterful to hit them right where they are. If they were willing to listen, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And in view of this, that there's something that we need to hear as we are navigating all of these thoughts and all of this uh, material as we're talking about idolatry, because I've gotten up here over and over like we, we don't need to chase after idols. It's not the world. It's Jesus. It's not romantic love. It's Jesus. It's not money. It's Jesus. It's not power and accomplishment. It's Jesus. Right. Amen. But see, here's what I know. Here's what I know about you. There's something I know about you. You're not perfect. You're not perfect. And so you're going to fall short on these things and you're going to miss it. And in our missing it, we can be just like one of the two sons. You can be like both of them in the same day. You can be like both of them in the same day and be like, oh, God, what I've done is against you. And I'm, I'm never going to be good enough to be your son again. And then we do something good. We're like, you see what I did? Give me what I want. Right. We can be like both of them at any point in their little trajectory there. We can find ourselves and identify with either of them again, either the young one or the older one. And so in that, there's something very important that we need to understand as we're thinking through this and as we're learning to live uh, more mindful of these things. And when it comes to our soul and all the things that it would chase instead of him. And there's something I need you to understand. And I'm going to tell you about it in just a minute. 
But first, I want to I want to tell you this, because one of the things I've been thinking on for the last, I guess, about a month now, God's just kind of been turning this over in me. And I was like, I'm going to get to share it at some point. And it was ended up being this week. Um, So, uh, again, several weeks ago, after one of the overcomers meetings, uh, one of my new friends, Blake Bryant, came up to me. Blake and Tanya Bryant, uh, they, they've been coming and uh, some of the big helpers uh, to Danny and Carolyn and Perry and Debbie as far as helping uh, overcomers, you know, be what it is. And he said afterwards, he said, uh, can I talk to you for just a second? I'm like, yeah, sure. So he, pull, he pulls me aside. He said, you know, I'm speaking in October. Uh, I think the 17th, maybe but around then. And he said, I've already talked to Danny and there's something I want to do. He said, I'm going to share a little a little, uh, you know, word of encouragement that the Lord has put on my heart. He said, but that's also mine and my wife's anniversary. And I forget how many, 40 something years. It wasn't right at 40, but 40, because they had gone to Hawaii for their 40th and they wanted to renew their vows on the beach in Hawaii. And they got there on a Friday and it turns out they do that only on Fridays and they got there too late to do it. And so they missed it and they were going to be gone before the next Friday. And he said, so we didn't get to do it. When we said we were going to do it, we we're going to go do it somewhere else. He said, but I really want to do it, you know, here with all, you know, a lot of our friends are here. Uh, church family's here. He's like, I just think that would be really special. And he said, I'm going to ask my pastor to do it. He's over at Thrive Church with Pastor Mark Smith, another friend of, friend of ours. And he said, but if, you know, he has to work, if he has to be out of town, can you be the backup? And I'm like, yeah, I would love to be the backup for that. And so we, he's awesome. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to that. And, you know, we were going on about our evening. I'm, I'm driving home and I'm thinking on that because if anybody ever asks me to speak over something, I start thinking on it pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, I overthink a lot of things if you don't know that about me. And I'm just kind of thinking. And one of the first things I was thinking is I'm going to have to tell my wife that I've been asked to do this because she uh, has brought up before. You know, we got our 20th anniversary coming up. She's like, at some point, I want to renew our vows. And I've always just kind of said, what do you want to do that for? Right. A lot of our marriage, and I told her this yesterday, a lot of our marriage is spent with her saying, I think I want to do this and me going, what do you want to do that for? <laughs> and so when it came to renewing the vows, I was like, well, you, did you not mean it the first time? Have you, you haven't broken it, have you? Like, are we good? like, I don't understand. Like, it's a vow. It's a vow. I made it. Like, why do I need to renew a vow that I made? And she was like, you always do this. Anyway. But it, as he's, you know, talking to me about it, I was like, well, this is something, it's, you know, it just hit me and hit me in my heart. I was like, well, it's something really sweet. I was like, but Lord, help me. I got to think on this the right way because here I am. I've kind of poo-pooed on this as far as us doing it. And now I'm going to tell her that I'm a backup. I may be the one to end up doing this, which I didn't have to. Pastor Martin did an excellent job. Uh, but I may be the one to have to do this. Like, I need to be thinking right on this, God, because what am I actually doing when I renew my vows? Like I said, I do already. I said, I do. It's kind of remind me of Phil Robertson, the granddaddy of the duck commander, when his wife said, you don't ever get me a card or anything like that. He was like, well, I told you I loved you when we got married. What do you need me to write it down for? <laughs> you know, and so there's a little bit. But then I, I remembered that and I was like, I've always thought that was funny. But I was like, I really don't want to be like that because <laughs> it kind of made her get a little sad. And uh, anyway, he did eventually get her a card. I think they've been married for 50 plus years now. He did actually one time get her a card and maybe even a little bit of jewelry. So he's doing better. But I'm thinking on this and I'm like, God, I said I do. I said I do. Right. That's my vow. And I, I said it. And I meant it. And I haven't broken it. 
Like, so what am I, what am I saying? Am I saying I still do? But I, I still, I still do. And I was like, no, no, it's more than that. It's more than that. It is I still do. It is I still do. But it's I still do and I'm happy about it. Right? I still do and there's joy in my heart about it. Because again, we've been married for 19 years. We've, we've learned a lot more about one another in those 19 years than we ever knew before we, before we got married. And we've experienced a lot. We've gone through a lot uh, together. We've put each other through a lot of stuff. And so I think when you, when you do that, and it can be, you know, I, I know Miss Janice and Mr. Rick, they renewed, was it 50 years you renewed your vows or p- past that? And, and so there's some celebration to it. It's like, well, look where we've come from. And now we've gotten all the way up to right here. And everything that's that's happened between us, everything that's gone on, some celebration, some good things, some regrets, obviously, you know, of, of, of things that we did to one another that we shouldn't have done or in ways that we treated one another in a way that was lesser than we should have. But we've we've made it here and we, we just thank God for that. And uh, we, we celebrate that we're here, but we look at each other right where we are and go, yeah, I still do. I still do. And not just because I have to, not just because I made a vow way back then and I'm just having to keep it and I'm, I'm having to hold on to it because I made it and I'm regretting it. But I still do. And I'm happy that I still do. And really, to tell the truth, I'm happier about it now than I was before. And, and I thought about that when I was thinking about the father in this story. It, it took me back to here because when his prodigal son came home, what, what did he basically say? I, I still do. I still love you and I'm still glad about it. And his other son, he was like, I still, what are you talking? Celebrate you. I celebrate you every day. I still do. And I'm glad about it. He had come compassion on both of his sons and he was happy about it. And again, the father in the story is supposed to resemble who our father in heaven. And what we think of him is, is kind of like, man, I sure am glad I got over on him way back when that I got him to say I do way back here. Because if he, if I had to ask him again now, he'd probably be a little bit more hesitant. Now that he knows me a little bit better, now that I've done the things that I've done, that I've failed him, the times that I've failed him, that I've disappointed him, he's probably really going to be excited when I get a little bit better. Like when I get to where I, 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 I spend the time with him that I'm supposed to and I don't spend the time doing the things I'm not supposed to and I quit making these dumb mistakes and I stop being so selfish, then he's going to stop being disappointed in me like he has me because he has to have me, but he's really going to love me later. And what he would say to us is, I do today. When we wake up every day, we wake up to him saying, hey, I still do. I still do. And I'm still glad about it. I don't feel like I've got sunk cost in this. Well, I sent Jesus and they believed on him, so I got to bring him on in. It's not that at all. It's not with regret. It's with the joy of a father's heart to have the child that he loves in his house. His beloved. I was listening to a song before service. It was another thing. I, I found an album. I was like, oh, I hadn't heard anything from this artist in a little while. So I listened to it. And it's just all about how much God loves us. And, and, and one of the lines was the one who knows me best loves me the most. 
the one who knows me best, who knows all the wrinkles, who knows all the baggage, who knows all the failures, who knows all the things that I regret, every disappointment, every time I've fallen short. He knows all of them and he loves me more than anybody else ever could. And again, we woke up to that today, whether we're feeling like the younger son and we're like, I have just wrecked so many things right now. I don't even know if he'll let me back in the house. Or if we're the older son and we're like, the only reason I prayed before my meal and I prayed before I went to bed and, and I almost forgot, but I did it anyway. I said it real quick just to get it in because I'm, I'm, I'm scared he's going to be mad at me and not celebrate me if I don't get it down to the absolute letter of correction. And he says to both every day, I did this morning before, after you messed up last night and before you did anything today to try to prove to me that you were a son in the house that I still do. I still do. And I'm glad about it. I still do. And there's joy and compassion in the very depths of his, so of who he is, his identity for you, regardless of which one we fall into at which time during the day. And that's why I believe that's why we needed to hear this just nestled in the middle of all of these things we've been talking about, because our our life in him has to begin there. It has to be understood right there that he that he he does. He still does. And he still will tomorrow. It has to be settled there. Our understanding and our foundation of our acceptance in him has to begin there that he loves you. He loved you, He still loves you, and He will love you. And that love doesn't change. Like the other song, I'd never be more loved than I am right now. Because He loves me the most. He demonstrated His love for me and that He sent Jesus to die for me while I was still a sinner. Right. Not a future version of me, not a better version of me that he's going to love better. And, and he's also not going, man, I sure am glad you're here. We've been needing somebody. Uh, our, our varsity Christian squad's looking kind of peaky, but you're in here now and you can get the stuff done. You're a crusher. You're a worker. Come on in here. I, I'm glad we got you on the team. Our record's going to be better now. No. He loves and that's why he said he, he's telling them. Look, it's just like the sheep. Y'all are all sheep. One of you wanders off. I'm going to get the one that wandered off. Be glad they're back. You like the 10 coins. They're the same value. If one's lost, I'm going to find them. I'm going to bring it back so that it's complete. And just like the two sons, whether you're the tax collector or the sinner, or you're the Pharisee or the scribe, there's room for you in the house. And the father is going to speak a better word over you than what you've spoken over yourself. And it goes back to why does our soul need an anchor? He said that we have our soul's anchor goes within the veil, which means it's anchored in him. It's not able to be touched by our failures or our accomplishments. And so if you came in today looking at somebody else uh, as being more successful, like you're the younger son coming in, looking at the older son, like he's doing everything he's supposed to do. He probably feels great about it. He's probably doing all. And here I am. I'm just low as I can be. And what do we see in the older son? He's just as insecure as he can be. He's done everything right. And he's still so insecure. Why? Because neither one is going to neither one can believe that the father would love them with grace and compassion, regardless of what they've done. Good, bad or indifferent. He loves us with grace and 
and compassion, regardless of what we've done. And from that rest, we, we, go, we, we get to get up and we get to go do lots of good things, but we don't find our identity in that. And when we fail and when we fall short, we don't find our identity in that either. We find our identity in hearing Him say every day, those mercies that are new every morning, hearing Him say, I still do. And I'm glad about it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for old stories at the right time. Thank You for the reminder that as we're trying to to navigate the longings of our soul, we know we're going to get it twisted sometimes. We know we're going to fall short sometimes. Thank You for a clear understanding of the better Word that You speak over us. So that when we do feel like we've been a disappointment, when we have even defiled ourselves, when we've hit that rock bottom of seeking after things that aren't you that we thought would satisfy us and they left us longing, that we can repent and we can return. And what we find in you is not reprimand, but restoration and rejoicing and celebration. And we're not kept in you like an older son that you only love us because of what we've done for you, that you only receive us because of the hard work that we've done for you. You received us when we couldn't do anything. And I thank you that we'll hear from you today that you did love us. You showed that to us when you sent Christ and you still love us today. The same amount And you're glad about it, that there's joy in your heart to have us in the house and that we'll remember this and we will find that rest and peace of knowing that we're accepted and validated in you. Lord, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you that they have chosen the better portion to spend time with you today. I thank you that you give to each of us our daily bread. God, sometimes we don't know how tomorrow is going to work out or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, but you give us manna for each day. And you do it graciously and faithfully. And I thank you, Lord, that we find in you everything that we have need of because you love us so much. And as we go out, I thank you that we will find that in our souls that loving acceptance that we can only find in you. I thank you, Lord, that we'll not only hear that, but we'll know it down in the depths of who we are and that you remind us of it regularly. As we go out today, I thank you that we do so with you in mind. As we go into this week, we do so with you in mind and that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.